your life is anything like mine, the last couple of weeks, your email inbox will have been filled with emails from companies, with GDPR, yeah, wanting to update contact details, make sure you're allowed, um, they're allowed to talk to you, make sure they have your data in the right way. And on this note, I found what could be acted out as a drama. Can I have two volunteers? Go on, we'll make this a bit fun today. Two volunteers. Let's do some drama. Don't all... I'm going to pick on people. Come on. It's very complicated. Go on, Nick. Do you want to go for the part in um, black or the part in red? Black. Black. Fantastic. Okay, you'll see this is really exciting. I'll build this up. Here we go. Here's the drama. Right, go on, Ian. Read the part in black. Do you know a good GTPR? <laughs> Do you know a good GTPR consultant? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please, could you give me their email? No. <laughs> Thank you. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> Told you it was exciting, didn't I? Companies have been sort of writing to us, saying, "You are important. You matter to us." Help us to keep this relationship we have with you going. Because relationship matters, doesn't it? It doesn't matter whether you're a company or a charity or a church. Relationships with people matter. I don't know if you agree with that quote or not. Relationships help us to define who we are and what can, we can become. Most of us can trace our success to pivotal relationships. Relationships matter. We were made. We are made for relationships. I was chatting the other day to a hospital chaplain, and he was saying to me, one of the saddest things that he comes across is when he gets called to go and see somebody. And he goes and sees this person, and he realizes that this person has nobody at all in their life. He was telling me a story of how he'd been to see this one man just a couple of weeks ago. And this man had no neighbors who cared for him, no members of his family who were left, and no friends who would come and see him. Every relationship in his life that had been had somehow gone wrong. Because relationships matter, don't they? When we think about that, it's heartbreaking. Because relationships matter. Two things happened to me in the last sort of ten days, two weeks or so. One was last Monday, week last Monday on the bank holiday. I met up with two friends of mine who um, were all Baptist ministers. We all went to college together and we survived. We came out the other end, okay. And um, we've known each other for about a decade. And we meet up two, three times, sometimes a year, to chat, to pray with each other as a kind of accountability group. And the moment we meet, it's as if we've never been apart. Because we went through three years of seeing quite a lot of each other. And you know when you've spent time with people, you know about each other's families, you know each other's backgrounds, you know the jokes that you all find funny, and everything starts to connect the minute you get back together with those people. Last Saturday morning, I got asked if I'd like to go and speak at a men's breakfast. And it was, I get asked to all the glamorous places. It was in Weatherspoons. And I'm sat there in Weatherspoons eating the, you know, the Michelin star breakfast opposite this bloke. And we get chatting. And we chat for about 20 minutes. And as we're chatting, we start to find we had a, a few things in common. We knew the same kind of area. We were both had a musical background. We were quite like talking about cars. And so the conversation got round to that. And then it sort of politely ended and the sort of the morning finished. Now, I have no reason to expect that I will meet that man again. It was a pleasant conversation, but it was very superficial. 
There are relationships in life that matter, and there are relationships in life that just stay on that superficial kind of level. And then we hear the call of Jesus, who says, follow me. We were looking at that a few weeks ago. He says, simply follow me. Does that relationship with Jesus, does knowing Jesus this morning matter to you? Or is it in the superficial category? If you were here last week, Chris was inviting us to gaze in wonder at God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. And today we come again to think, how can we grow in knowing this God? God who is transcendent, immortal, invisible, yet noble to us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've got a Bible in front of you, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 11 through to 14. Because it's quite a short passage, I'm going to read it through twice. If you want to follow it the first time, that's great. Second time, I just invite you to close your eyes and listen. I think sometimes we're good at following and not that great at listening, so second time I read it if you just listen. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I'll just read it again. Now, this time, just really listen. Let these words sort of resonate within you. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that you will help us to be people willing and ready to train so that we grow in you. Lord, help us to be people who want to know you more, to seek a deeper deeper transformation by the Holy Spirit. And we ask it in your name. Amen. I don't know who put this water here, but I cannot get that top off there. Anyone feeling strong? Go on, John. You'll now humiliate me by just going... <laughs> we were talking um, in the preaching course on Monday about being self-deprecating. Well, there you go. That's better. The phrase, a personal relationship with Jesus, is something we talk about quite a lot in church. But it's not actually of itself a phrase that is in the Bible. A bit like the Trinity is another one. It explains what is there, but it's not a phrase. So we can't go to a passage in the Bible and say, here's a passage that is about a personal relationship with, it, with Jesus. Let's unpack it. But the relationship with Jesus side is all over the New Testament. Just here, four passages to look at. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Know him better. Or this from John 14, verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. 
From now on, you do not know him. You do know him, sorry, and have seen him. Again, that thing, know him. Knowing is about relationship. Philippians 3, verse 8. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. The value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And from 1 John 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Almost a cause and effect there. When we know him, we do the things that Jesus calls us to do. Knowing God, knowing Jesus, knowing through obedience, knowing through the Spirit, it's all about relationship. But actually this morning it's important to remember God already knows us 100%. So the deepening, the the, the instigation of coming to know him deeper has to rest, at least to some degree, with our desire to know him more. We want to know Jesus more today. There are things lifestyle choices that become really important. You know, just as if we want to know a person better, you've got to commit to spending time with them, haven't you? You've got to ask them the kind of questions that, that mean you, that you get to know where they were brought up, the kinds of dreams and things that they have, the kinds of things that matter to them. Well, the writer of the Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, so we always have to say the writer to the Hebrews. We know he was writing to Jewish Christians, but he's been going on at some length, and now he hits a problem. Because if you've got the Bible in front of you, he's been talking about how Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's one of those things that we either unpack this at great length or we put it on a shelf and say, we'll do that at a later date. We are going to put it on a shelf and say, we'll come back to that at a later date. Otherwise, we'll get gloriously sidetracked. But actually, it's quite complicated. It all goes back to the Old Testament. It's stuff that you have to really think about and try and work out exactly what he is saying. But suddenly, the writer is pulled up short because he realizes that his readers have given up trying to get to know Jesus more. Look at verse 11. You no longer try to understand. Those are not generous words. You no longer try to understand. Effectively, the literal meaning, you have become sluggish or slothful sluggish or slothful. You are no longer trying to grapple with who Jesus is. Um, I used to work as a piano teacher, and when I um, was teaching, I remember teaching this one particular person, and I used to put their lesson onto last thing on a Friday, and you'll, you'll see why in a moment. This person was a school teacher, and in the back of their mind, they decided that if they learned the piano, they could become the music specialist in their primary school that they taught in. And sometimes I would turn up to this person's house for a lesson. And they would open the door and they would say, oh, do you mind if we leave it tonight? I'm a bit tired. They'd pay me and I'd go. Other times I would go and we'd actually get to sit at the piano for them to put their hands on the keys and then say, oh, I'm a bit tired today. Do you mind if we leave it? They'd pay me and I would go. So I thought, well, this, this really isn't very honorable on my part. So I said, are you sure you want to learn? I'm not doing anything. I'm just coming for like two, three minutes and then I'm going again. But this person was adamant. No, I want you to come. I want to learn the piano. I I, I want to do this. I need to do this for my career. This went on with me having this conversation with this person for about four years. (laughs) At the end of it, I eventually said, look, I just can't do this any longer. You've not learned anything. I still have to help you find middle C and to find the notes on the piano. 
I don't know how much money this person had given me to come. But I kept saying, you know, I've got other people who would have a lesson at this time. I can't come for nothing. So anyway, we, we did end in, in the... We did end at the sort of end of the day. But there was a vague idea in this person's mind that they wanted to learn the piano. But it wasn't matched with reality. There was nothing in the reality of their behavior or their commitment that actually suggested that this was true. You know, the same thing can happen if we're following Jesus. The same thing can happen. And so I want to ask us a question today. We'll keep coming back to this. Are you, am I growing in Christ? Are we growing? The problem for these people was, in verse 12, we find, is that they should have been teachers. They should have known enough to teach other people by this stage in their Christian journey. And yet they were still wanting the basic stuff. And so we get an analogy. These are like infants needing milk. And it's one that's used elsewhere in the New Testament. Here's Paul using the same analogy in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. All of us today, if you've committed your life to to that call of Jesus to follow him, all of us at some stage started that journey. Now, it may have been as, as an adult, it may have been as a child, it may have been six months ago, it may have been 60 years ago, but we all started out as an infant. Now, when we think of an infant human being, every child starts off drinking milk. That's how children start. And I checked this out on the NHS website to check I wasn't giving faulty information. Well, for the first six months of life, milk is sufficient for a baby. It's sufficient for all the nutrients that a child needs to grow and develop. And in those first few months, a baby starts to learn to do all kinds of amazing things. They learn to smile. They learn to react. Within a couple of years, that child will have developed to being able to control their own body, to some sort of basic speech. They will certainly know their own mind by the age of two. They will know right and wrong over simple things. You see, when we first start following Jesus, we start as a spiritual infant. And that is a great place to be because it's the place where you're learning really, really quickly. And there's some amazing stuff to learn about the wonder of his love. How could Jesus love me? That is amazing, just on its own. We talked today about the gift of the Holy Spirit, about his death, his sacrificial death for our sin on the cross, his rising again to glory, the free gift of eternal life through grace, the, the fact that we don't have to earn it, but it's a gift that when we follow Jesus. And in those first steps, we start to work out how we apply the gospel to everyday life how we start to live a lifestyle that reflects Jesus. It might be about being honest or growing in patience and kindness. But things start to change. If today, that is you, if you've recently made that commitment to follow Jesus, these are the building blocks that never will go away. They will never be shaken. They are non-alterable. But we need to keep going. We need to keep learning. We need to keep digging deeper. Because the tragedy that is being addressed in Hebrews, is that they've just given up trying to understand at a deeper level. They've just stopped trying. They've settled for an understanding, a level of spirituality, an understanding of God's revelation, and are no longer growing. It's as if they've had four or five years of piano lessons and are still on book one. Or as if they've got to top juniors or year six, depending on whether you want old or new money. And they've said, well, that's enough. You know, we can read, write, do a few bits and bobs, 
but I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to go any deeper in education. And they have become, this is Brown, not Gordon Brown, just in case you're wondering, ignorant through laziness, the commentator. They have become ignorant through laziness. See, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he more or less said, you can't cope with anything more, so we'll we'll have to stay on the basics. But actually, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is you've given up. You're unwilling to get to know Jesus at a deeper level. And so the question comes back to us. Are we growing? Are we learning? Are we being transformed at a deeper level? Because the tragedy is is that they should have grown. They should have been able to grapple with this stuff. They should have found um, the previous chapter or the previous verses of chapter 5 fascinating and enriching to their faith. Yet the writer says, actually, you've given up understanding this kind of stuff. You know, and sometimes I think it's easy to want to apportion blame if we feel we're not growing spiritually. We can say, well, it's, it's the church's fault. The, the teaching is too shallow, too deep, too long, too short, whatever adjectives you want to use to describe it. Or it's my home group's fault. If only we went at a deeper level, then I would grow. But actually, as I read the book of Hebrews, you can't blame the author of the book of Hebrews. You know, I would love to have been mentored by the author of the book of Hebrews. Imagine the richness of what you'd get from that person. But what these people have done is they've been caught in the trap of perpetual infancy. Knowing something, but not willing to grow. And the result? They can't teach other people. They're still having to be spoon-fed. Are you growing? Am I growing in Christ? Or have we settled for a level? we've not moved on. It's a short question, isn't it? But it's actually really important that we grapple with it. Because what does it mean to grow up? What does it mean? Well, it does mean understanding things at a deeper level. You can't read the first part of chapter 5 and say anything but that, because the teaching about Jesus in the priesthood of Melchizedek is not an obvious thing that we would learn unless you'd study deeply and get into serious Bible study. Talking about the Trinity last week requires our human brains to be pushed to their absolute limits of what we can comprehend. If you read the beginning of John's Gospel, the prologue of John, and you're talking about the Incarnation, that goes again beyond the limits of what our brains can understand. And we need to have those kind of desire to wrestle with these things. You know, I say it really often, and I know we we say it often in church generally, that at the heart, the Gospel is incredibly simple. You know, it was the great German theologian Karl Barth who, when asked, can you summarize 50 years of academic study as to what the gospel is about? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Simple enough for a three-year-old to start to grapple with, but deep enough that it will feed us into eternity. Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Or this from a a Presbyterian theologian from the last century. The gospel is so simple that small children can understand it. And it is so profound that the studies by the widest theologians will never exhaust its riches. And it poses a question to me. Why would we ever be satisfied with a view of Jesus, a life of discipleship? that is less than what the Bible sets it out to be? Why should we ever be satisfied with a sort of mediocre understanding of who Jesus is? 
But over the years, I've met a number of people in sort of my life, and these have been people who in their working life have worked really hard. They've either trained um, for something or other, or they've, um, they've studied hard and learned a trade well. They've grappled with difficult concepts and understood them. Yet as I've watched them in their Christian life, actually they've, they've sort of settled for a very simplistic level of spirituality. A very sort of simplistic understanding of who Jesus is and the application of the gospel to their lives. You see, when we do that, it doesn't only limit ourselves, but it limits what Jesus can do in us and through us. If we say, this is the bar that I'm setting, we won't grow into the people that God wants us to be. The writer of the Hebrews challenges that mentality. He says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. If we only get to know Jesus superficially, he says we're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That means we're untested, that word, acquainted. We're untested, we're untried. And the word righteousness there, it's not just about doing right things, but it's caring about the justice of God. Caring about the things that are on God's heart. So the spiritual infant is untested when it comes to applying the gospel deep into their lives. Our thirst for righteousness. You know, as we come to know Jesus more and more, the gospel starts to penetrate deeper and deeper into how we behave, into our lifestyle choices. It will start to impact how we use our money, where we buy things from, how we use our free time. It will start to mean that we get passionate about things that perhaps years before we hadn't got passionate about. You know, just hearing Mark this morning talking about the rock conversation and how that has led to this amazing development in limb. You know, that is the gospel being drilled down further and further into people's hearts. I had somebody this week dancing in our garden when that news broke that the rock um, hub was going to happen. And that is when righteousness takes root in our heart and we become passionate about the things that are on God's heart. But growing isn't just about knowledge. It can never just be about knowledge. But it's about transformation. Verse 14, the mature learn to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong. Verse 14, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The word trained there is, is quite a significant one because the, the original word is the word that we get gym from, you know, like, as in gymnasium. I used to go to the gym sometimes. I used to go with a friend. And this friend had free gym passes that he could take a friend along. And we used to go. And um, we'd go and look at the treadmills. And we'd, pr- <laughs> we'd say, aren't they nice bits of machinery? And we'd just sit on the exercise bike and perhaps spin our legs around casually for a few moments. We'd lift one or two weights. Didn't want to strain the muscles. Um, we might even go for a little swim. But then the jacuzzi would call. And we would go and sit in the jacuzzi and chat for about an hour before going and getting a coffee. Being in a gym of itself doesn't make you fit, does it? Being in church, being in a small group, having a mentor of itself does not make you grow in Christ. It doesn't do it. The mature Christian is the one who deliberately chooses at each point to understand and to seek the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And it has to be an act of our will. By spending more time in prayer, by greater dependency on the guiding of the Holy Spirit, 
by that spiritual workout done in another level. But you see, I think there is a bit of a risk here as we look at this passage, and it's this. The Christians sometimes can risk putting a wedge between the work of the Holy Spirit and our spiritual training in terms of understanding more of who Jesus is. Years ago, I went to the Nazarene College in Manchester, uh, a Bible college, and at that point, I don't know what the, the sort of strap line of the college is now, but it used to be scholarship on fire, which in a sense means know everything you possibly can know about Jesus. Learn at the deepest level you possibly can learn, and then seek, or at the same time, seek the Holy Spirit's anointing on what you're doing. If you just have the knowledge, you might not end up anywhere, because you can dry up. I think it's often said, sometimes if you just have the spirit, you blow up. But if you get the two together, that's actually when we grow to become those kind of people that God wants us to be. You see, the Holy Spirit will not transform us uninvited. We have to invite the Holy Spirit to keep working in us. God is relentlessly pursuing us, but are we pursuing God? He will always be reaching out to us. But this is about relationship. Are we pursuing him. In a few moments as we take communion, we're going to have the chance again to pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit because Paul says we are to be continually filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-off event, but it's a continual process. And perhaps today, actually, in your growing in Christ, perhaps you've, you've, you've got some of this stuff and you're learning, but actually it's not resulting in transformation and you just need the Holy Spirit afresh in your life. There will be chance to be prayed with in a few moments. But let's ask that question again. Are you growing in Christ? We're given a few points of how we can evaluate this. Are you able to share Jesus with others? Are you able to teach? Now, I don't mean teach as in, can you lecture on theology or something like that? But can you explain the hope that you have to other people so other people can learn what you already know? Can you do that? That is evidence of growing, if you can do. That is evidence of growing. And the second one, that was at the end. Are you passionate about righteousness? Do you know right from wrong? Have you got a heart for those things that are on God's heart? Are you growing in Christ? Make it a bit more practical. Think six months ago. Have you changed since then? Has anything changed within you? Have you got a deeper love for people, a deeper love for God? Are there things that God has stirred within you recently? not talking 30, 40 years ago, but recently. Has God done stuff? Are we growing? You see, the writer, the writer of the Hebrews makes it abundantly clear is that he can't make them grow. He can present this wonderful teaching in the book of Hebrews. He can point them to Christ, but actually it's the individual's responsibility to look after our own soul, our own relationship with God. There are all kinds of practical things that we can do. There's just a few of them that will help. But you can do all that kind of stuff. You can turn up at every event possible, go to the best conferences, sit under the most amazing teaching. You can do Bible reading till it comes out of your ears. But actually, if we don't want to change and don't want to grow and don't have the Holy Spirit working within us, we can still not grow. We are not plants. We cannot grow by osmosis. You know, there are times when I wish I could sit next to my bookshelf and absorb the wisdom of Christians who've gone before me. It doesn't work. You have to read it. 
and you have to pray that God will use it. Sometimes, wouldn't it be great if we could just have the Bible at the side of us and everything that is in there was imparted into our minds? It doesn't work. We have to read it. Wouldn't it sometimes be great if those things that in our lives we actually think, God, I wish you would transform this part of me or that part of me. But actually, we don't put any effort in in terms of prayer and seeking the Lord. Actually, God calls us to be active. Get into training. Come and follow me. We're called to walk with Jesus day by day. This is what Billy Graham said about it. Being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. Simple question. Are you growing? Is this happening? Do you want to grow? If you do, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you that you call us into relationship with yourself. Thank you that the scriptures just are bursting with references to what it means to know you, to follow you. And thank you that you call us into ever deeper levels of understanding who you are and being transformed by your Holy Spirit. So I pray today, perhaps for those who are here today, and perhaps you're thinking, actually, I'm not growing at the moment. In fact, I'm stagnating, or even worse, I'm going backwards. If that is you, would you come again to Jesus and say, Lord, today I say I will follow again. Today I commit myself to desiring growth. Or perhaps you're here today and actually, there's a lot of knowledge going around in your your mind, but actually... You become dependent on that, not dependent on the Holy Spirit. And perhaps today you just need to pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, when we have the invitation to receive prayer during communion, I'd really encourage you to take that up. So Lord Jesus, whatever state we find ourselves in today, help us to want to go deeper with you. And we ask it for your sake and for your glory. Amen.